going on, everybody? It's me, Nicholas Willard, and this is Almost Canon. Now, if you have some sort of strange encounter with the unknown or the paranormal or some sort of cryptid creature you encountered while deer hunting or maybe, I don't know, turkey hunting or bear hunting or whatever hunting you're doing, if you stumbled across something strange and you want to talk about it, send us an email at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, Almost Canon Podcast. Uh, you know, I, we do have an Instagram, at Almost Canon Pod. Um, I don't do, like, a whole lot of messaging back and forth through there, so I'm not exactly sure how that works. You know, I'm not, I'm not hip. Um, and all this social media uh, thingamajigs. So you can hit me up on that if you want. I might not get back to you. So your best bet is to send me an email at almostcanonpod at gmail.com. We want to hear your story. Now, slight change of plans for tonight. Uh, I was going to go into this, you know, I've been doing this this killer research on primordial gods, the cosmic sea, the Anunnaki, and their connection to Native American gods. Like the one that supposedly lives, or resides, I'll say resides, at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain. I was going to do an episode on that uh, this week. However, the guests that I was going to have on, uh, they had a loss in their family. They weren't able to make it. So we're going to put that off for next week, hopefully. But I do have a pretty interesting uh, episode for you tonight. I think you'll like it. It's right up our alley and all this weird stuff and uh, shapeshifters, you know, different kind of shapeshifters and Native American lore and legends and you know, all this good stuff that we're into. So, we're going to focus on that right after. Uh, I wanted to go into a little bit, just a little bit. I have a uh, another story. Um, it wasn't emailed or, or anything like that. It was. It's just a story I'm familiar with uh, from someone who's fairly close to me. And their story takes place on... The same mountain, and even, believe it or not, and I, I'm not, I shit you not, it takes place literally in the same location um, that I had my weird encounter. Now, they were years apart, several years apart. Um, I wasn't involved in this. I wasn't there. Uh, different time of year, you know, all this. It was different, but it, it, was, this, it was the same location. So I'll get into that really quick. We'll just talk about that for a second. Because um, it, it is interesting. It's very interesting. I heard this story, and I instantly wondered what was going on. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'll get into that after the story. It's a very, very short story. So, And I'm just going to recount it from memory. Um, but before we get into that, I want you guys, right now, to scroll to the bottom of the podcast... Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Help us spread the word, you know. And that word is Almost Canon Podcast. We can't do it without you. I say it every week. You hear it on every podcast you've ever listened to. 
Rating and reviewing is what gets the word out. And I would appreciate it so much if you rate and reviewed the show. Shared it on whatever social media you use. Let's get the word out. Let's spread almost canon. And now, let's get into our first encounter. Alright. So this story takes place in the spring. Uh, I'll say like, you know, 2018. Somewhere around there. 2017, maybe 2016. Uh, I know it was several years ago, wasn't too long ago, so I'll just say 2018, um, and I had my encounter 2017, so this woman, she was walking her dogs through the woods, you know, my family, and, th- and this is this is a family member, my family, we, you know, we, we tap trees, get sap to make maple syrup, um, so... What you have to do is, you know, in the, in the fall, you go to check the lines. In the winter, you know, obviously you got to, yeah, I guess it's more towards, you know, late winter, early spring. You know, you got to tap the trees. You got to hook everything up. And then when all, when all that is done, you have to rinse the lines out, you know, make sure they're picked up nice and neat. You don't want to leave them just hanging around for God knows what to happen to them. So... This would be after, this takes place after the sugaring season is done. Um, Lines are being, you know, picked up, rinsed out, and all that stuff. And this woman, she's walking her dogs up the hill. uh, And she hears, you know, something weird. Like, something weird's going on up in this area that, that... you know, my family collectively knows as the petty moan. Um, you know, it used to be a field. I don't. I don't even know. Fifty years ago, sixty years ago, that this dude, his last name was Petty. You know, he would mow this field and blah 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 blah. Over time, it's it's grown up. You know, there's there's saplings have turned into you know semi mature trees. It's it's not a whole. It's not much of a field anymore. But um, it's called the petty moan. This 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 woman, she's walking her dogs up there. She hears something funny, you know. She's she's going up, further up, all the way, closer than she probably should have got. When she realizes that what this is is a pack of coyotes, apparently a pack of them, a, more than one, several coyotes. They're doing something, you know. This is the middle of the day now. Now you don't usually see coyotes out in the middle of the day. This this this. Make you know instantly you start thinking of you know are these coyotes rabid? What's going on with them? Are they sick somehow? This is weird. Coyotes are more of a nocturnal predator. They come out, or maybe they're not even nocturnal necessarily. I don't I don't know what the terminology is, but they're they're more of like a dusk dawn type of animal, uh, and definitely nocturnal. I I'll, we'll just call them nocturnal. You know, uh, so they're doing something in this field, and she realizes she needs to get out of there. They've, they've caught her scent. They realize that she's there, and they chase her. Yes, they chase her. This is another um, behavior that coyotes just don't, just don't show. You know, coyotes don't, don't chase people. They're not out during the daytime. They definitely don't chase people unless there's something seriously wrong with them. Um, now, she believes 
there was a pack of them. She never saw them, right? She never saw them. But she could hear multiple animals doing whatever they were doing. And she realizes they're chasing her. So she screams at her dogs to run, and she runs down the trail. And she swears that these coyotes are nipping at her heels. She can hear them behind her. She can hear them breathing. She can hear them barking, um, growling. You know, she can hear them. They're right behind her. And she swears to God, they're nipping at her heels. Um, And keep in mind, this is more, you know, multiple animals behind her. So she gets to this point, you know, further down the trail. She's, she's, She's not looking back. She doesn't want to look back. She's afraid to look back. These animals, they're right on her heels, though. You know, she can feel them breathing. She can feel their breath, practically feel their breath, you know, on the back of her neck, right? Um, And then she reaches this point where everything just goes silent, you know. There's no more. She doesn't hear any of the animals, any of these coyotes. Uh, She doesn't sense them anymore. She doesn't feel them. Um, And she turns around, and she sees one single coyote, and if I recall correctly, it was a very large coyote. Um, like, excessively large. Now, this is not the first time that a, a excessively large, an, an abnormally large uh, coyote has been reported to be on this mountain. Now, many, many, many years ago, prior to this, maybe like, 2008, something like that, long, long time ago, I heard my uncle talking about a coyote that was just sitting, you know, like a dog would sit on this this little hill in my grandmother's backyard. So there's the backyard, you know, there's this little gully, this little ditch where the little brook runs through, uh, and then there's a hill that kind of leads up into this little field area right before the stone wall, and then the woods... Obviously, the, you know, the woods go directly to the mountain uh, and further and further up. Now, I recall my uncle talking about, now he didn't, he didn't tell this to me, I heard him talking about this, I recall him talking about a coyote sitting on this hill that was the size of a Great Dane. Now, um, coyotes just don't get that big, you know, coyotes are, are very small creatures, uh, you know, 30, 40 pounds at most. Um, and what I, it's just that instantly gets my attention. You know, what is a coyote as big as a Great Dane doing uh, in this, this, on this mountain, you know, smack dab in the middle of uh, Vermont? Or, or, not necessarily the middle, but I, you, you could say smack dab in the middle of New England. Now, now, um, wolves were, were hunted to extinction, um, you know, I don't even know when, late 1800s, early 1900s probably, same as uh, the mountain lion, the cougar, some people know them as like a, a panther or a cow to mount, you know, uh, they were hunted to extinction in the late 1800s as well, now, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what's going on on this mountain. Uh, and I don't know if it is like this 
all over Vermont or all over wherever people have woods. You know, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but um, I have received reports of catamount on this mountain. I have seen tracks both in the dirt and in the snow, probably a good 15 years apart, uh, catamount tracks. And I only say they're catamount tracks because, you know, you can tell the difference between a dog print and a, and a big cat print, uh, obviously because with the dog, you know, the, the, the claws, the toenails, they don't retract, they're always out, right? In a, in a, a big cat print, it's just a, a pad, you know, because their, their claws are retractable. So I've seen these in the dirt, and I've seen them in the snow. I saw them in the snow when I was a little kid. I saw them in the dirt probably uh, eight, eight years ago, and I kick myself in the ass every time I think of this. I should have took a picture, um, but I didn't. Uh, on top of that, you know, when I had uh, Alex uh, Petikov on, we had talked about mountain lions in New England, and I told him this story of how a, um, I believe it was a Rottweiler and a Golden Retriever were killed by a mysterious animal dragged into the woods, um, and that, you know, the state police and the game wardens were on our road, you know, at the base of this mountain for a good week, searching the woods for whatever had killed these animals. That's all I know. You know, I was little. I just remember them coming to the house telling us to stay out of the woods, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't say what was going on, and I, I'm pretty damn sure uh, there's nothing reported about this either. I've, I've looked online. I haven't found anything, but I, I strictly I remember that happening. Now, um, so that, that's, that's a catamount. I've also talked about my Bigfoot encounter, and I use that loosely because I, I, I didn't see anything. I heard something mimicking a turkey... Um, in hunting season, if it was another hunter, uh, he was, he was playing fast and loose with his own life because, you know, we were, I was there for a good couple minutes listening to this, whatever it was, it even, you know, banged the sticks or the rocks together. Like, like you hear on, uh, finding Bigfoot, you know, it was like, boom, boom, boom. Boom, tree knocks, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and there was even growls. So if that was another hunter uh, trying to scare me, you know, away from their hunting spot, then he could have easily been shot and killed. So I don't, I don't know what that was, you know. Um, so there's that. And then I hear about this with this pack of coyotes chasing... You know, this woman off the mountain. Now, I do want to bring up that I've had game cameras on that mountain for years. Years. Multiple locations. And I have only ever got, like, one coyote multiple times, right? Not a pack of coyotes. I've never seen a pack of coyotes. I've never seen more than one coyote um, on this mountain at a time, right? So, I, what is that? Maybe I'm missing them. Maybe there is a pack of coyotes up there. I don't know. But I'm only seeing one coyote, and it's not the size of a Great Dane. So, what would, what kind of creature is out there that's, that's a canine, that's the size of a Great Dane, um, and that will 
actively chase a human being from wherever they are out of the woods. Now, there's really only one creature that I can think of that would do that. And that would be the dog man. You know, everybody wants to talk about the dog man these days. Uh, and side note, I have a, a great guest uh, coming on at some point. I'm, I'm working at him. You know, he, he is very well known in the dog man community. There he was. You know, his story is out there all over the place. Um, I, uh, you know, you, I, you don't really hear about him anymore. However, I have made contact with him. He, he, he is a fellow Vermonter. I'm hoping I can use that to get him on the show because he's got some new information that is pretty exciting, and I'm hopefully able to get him on the show, um, and I would love to visit his, uh, his property and check things out. Now, that's as far as I'll go with that. But anyway, back to the main story. So, was this a dog man that chased this woman off the mountain? I mean, it's really the only thing that makes sense to me, you know? I've never seen a pack of coyotes. I've never seen a coyote, you know, that weighs more than 50 pounds. Now, 50 pounds isn't very big. A Great Dane is probably, you know, 80 to 100 pounds. You know, something as big as a Great Dane, 80 to 100 pounds. I mean, I had a dog that wasn't as big as a Great Dane that weighed 120 pounds, you know. So, I just, something's not right with this story. It's bothered me ever since I heard of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, the mountain is strange. And when we get into, you know, I got some other information I'm going to bring up. There's just weird stuff all over the mountain. I'm going to bring this up whenever we get on to talk about uh, the Bennington Triangle again. You know, there's this whole thing with stone carns. There's several of them on this mountain alone. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying that has anything to do with it. I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just interesting. I don't know what this was. Uh, it's bothered me ever since I've heard of it. And I wanted to bring it up because I, I thought it was, it was... It's just a very interesting story. I mean, coyotes don't chase people. They especially don't chase people during the day. So what was it? I don't know. Was it a dog man? Maybe. Maybe not. So that's that story. Think it over. Let me know what you think. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. Oh, you know, under the uh, I'll post of uh, this episode, you can leave a comment. You know, underneath the thumbnail there. But um, let's get into the meat of tonight's episode, and that is some stories that I dug up from the Bennington Triangle. Um, now, I know, you know, we just did this episode on the Bennington Triangle, and it, it, the area just fascinates me. You know, I even, I even live in Vermont, and I live fairly close to the Triangle. I feel like I just don't know a whole lot about it, you know. It's not something, you, you would think if there was this, this strange location where all this weird stuff happened, that it would be you know, uh, almost like, like a tourist attraction, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the exact word for it, but when you, when you look at, um, 
uh, Lake Champlain, you you see things for Champ all over the place. You know, there's Champ statues, Champ t-shirts, Champ sweatshirts. You know, I think the there's a minor league baseball team or, or something up there that that is like um, Champ is the mascot. Like it's it's it Champ's all over now. What about the triangle? There's not you, there's not a whole lot about the triangle. It seems to be this location uh, that time forgot, literally, almost, almost literally. Now I I came across some pretty interesting stories that come out of the triangle while doing my research for uh, this much larger episode based around the triangle. You know, I so I've been. I think I think I talked about it last time. I've been doing re- there's a whole bunch of research on you know primordial gods, you know these Abenaki god, this Abenaki god that that is said to live on the summit of the mountain. Uh, and I I kind of I dug down into that. I dug down into the myths and lores of you know all these. I dug down into the mythologies. Um, of all these these pantheons of gods and all these different mythologies from around the world, and I found some pretty interesting stuff, and I can tie it. it it's 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 very strange how you can t- almost tie all these ancient cultures together through you know the primordial sea and these primordial gods, you know, and you can tie it all the way to to um, the Anunnaki, and which which then you can tie you know tie that to you know the Nephilim and all this other crazy stuff. So, so I've, I've been doing a, a lot of research into that. Um, and when I'm ready to produce that episode, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Like I'm I'm ex- I'm so excited to do it. But like like I said earlier, uh, we weren't able to do that this week. My guest, who we were gonna do it with, not able to make it. So I, I figured I would pull these stories. You know, instead of reading them off at the end of, of that episode, I wanted to read them for this episode. Now, um, the first one, the first couple stories I got here come from this awesome, awesome website, uh, blog, whatever you want to call it. It's called ObscureVermont.com. And this guy, he's he go, you know, I... I don't know why I haven't reached out to him yet. I should because I even before I did the podcast or the Mysterious Vermont Facebook page, you know, I was always checking out this obscure Vermont website to see what, what kind of cool stories and what kind of cool places there are uh, that I can go visit. And this guy, you know, he's got a whole section on the Bennington Triangle, obviously. So I pulled some stories from there. And some of them are, are very interesting. And, and one that I pulled even ties very closely to um, something that happened to Bailey Willard, if we can call back to an older episode, you know, where he had lived in the haunted house uh, in Shaftesbury within the triangle, <clears throat> with, sorry, excuse me, within the triangle, um, it's, it's just a very similar, strange, and I'll just call it an encounter, um, experience, I guess would be a better word, so let's see, uh, all right, so yeah, this is taken from ObscureVermont.com, uh, where the poster and a friend had been exploring the triangle not far from Shaftesbury, like I said, you know. Uh, 
as we were wandering around, the once sunny July afternoon became dark and cloudy as a gusty wind picked up and tangled the long grasses. And it came fast, so fast, that none of us were aware of a change in weather until things got dangerous. We were suddenly at the mercy of a freak ferocious thunderstorm that seemed to emanate out of nowhere and became so violent that we literally retreated down the mountainside in fear of the dirt trail washing out, leaving us stranded in the middle of the National Forest. But when we got back down to the flats in Shaftesbury, it was sunny and dry. To make things far stranger, gas station attendants in Arlington were baffled that a thunderstorm, especially one of that magnitude, had passed through the area without them noticing it. Freak storms are common in New England. It's by no means a rare phenomenon here. But the conditions were just right to make this a head-scratcher. I still have no explanation to this day. Um, now, I find that, sto- you know, yeah, okay. It's a freak storm, big deal, right? Well, I find this story to be incredibly interesting uh, because... It's almost exactly what happened to Bailey Willard and his friend when they went up, um, you know, it almost sounds like the same area. You know, how, how many how many trails can there be out of Shaftesbury that go into the National Park, right? It's almost like they were on the same road. You know, Bailey Willard and his friend, they went, I believe they were gone out to shoot guns, right? And they're in this clearing uh, when this huge storm comes out of nowhere and they literally have to retreat, you know, back to the trucks back to their truck, you know, and drive off the mountain because the storm is just so bad, right? So there's obviously, uh, so what is in this? What is in this area that is making these these freak storms? Because I'm sure we, we if we went, you know, if I went to Shaftesbury or Bennington, you know, or even just asked people who hike the mountain quite often, you know, how many times a freak, they've been stuck how many times they've been stuck in, in a freak storm, I'm sure, you know, a large amount amount of them uh, would have experienced this. Um, it's, it's just very strange how, you know, I've only talked to several people and read, you know, just a, a handful of things about the mountain and, and this, freak, this freak storm activity seems to pop up quite often. So uh, that was the first story. Now, this this guy from ObscureVermont.com, he's got several other uh, shorter stories that are, you know, kind of creepy, interesting. So I'll, ju- I'll just read those off, too. Uh, in the book, Haunted Hikes of Vermont, author Tim Symard mentions a one-time incident of hearing a ghostly train whistle while hiking along the West Ridge Trail miles away from both any functional railroad track and the old rail bed that runs up South Glastonbury. Um, so when I read this originally, when I instantly thought of, had nothing to do with, with train engines, um, or railroad tracks, or any, any, anything, you know, anything like that, what I instantly thought of was a Sasquatch. You know, there's stories of the Bennington monster and all that. So it just, you know, you, you often hear stories of Sasquatch 
whistling like trains, right? Um, another account from ObscureVermont.com goes like this. One harrowing account I was able to dig up took place on Columbus Day in 2008. This time, two long trail hikers were making their way through the Gladstonbury Wilderness while hiking, making their way through the Gladstonbury Wilderness. While hiking, they ran into a young man named Dave who helped rebuild uh, fire towers along the trail. They started talking about the mountain's reputation, which at this point seems almost uh, impossible not to do if you're visiting. They had heard about the disappearances and shrugged it off uh, as out-of-control tales. But Dave had a weird story to tell of his own. Dave spent some time on Gladstonbury Mountain restoring the fire tower on the summit and would work up there for extended periods of time. While camping in Goddard's shelter, and this is a shelter at the summit, uh, his friends reported that there were nights that he would sit up in his sleeping and laugh in his sleep, that he would sit up in his sleep and laugh uncontrollably. And other nights, when he would wake up screaming. Dave was considered a down-to-earth and smart guy, so this behavior had his friends extremely concerned and disturbed. He had never acted in such a way before. I'll never know if Dave had any follow-up episodes or an explanation behind these bizarre actions. The thread ended there. So that's another one. You know, was this Dave character being possessed by some sort of, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll just call him mountain spirit. I mean, he he's at the summit, you know, the same summit where Native Americans warned early settlers not to go. So, I mean, I'm sure some weird stuff's going to happen if you're at the summit. Like, you're, you're obviously not supposed to be there. So, um, I don't know. That is weird, right? All right. Here's here's the last story that I have by um, Obscure Vermont. Another story I was able to dig up only adds to the unscrupulous, the unscrupulousness of the region. In the book Ghost Towns of New England, author Fessenden S. Blanchard spoke with Arlie Green the oldest surviving member of the the Madison family. And and um side note, the the Madison family, you know, they're the the last remaining people uh within Gladstonbury. You know, they would be I think there was like six of them or three of them left, you know. So that that's just a side note. But uh Green recalled the old days in Gladstonbury, and one particularly enigmatic and possibly nefarious incident. Two local men went fishing on the Peters branch. One went upstream, and the other went downstream. One of them was never seen again. A short time after the disappearance of the fishermen, someone found a human skull sitting on a tree stump near the brook. Some speculated panthers got to him. Uh, but others weren't so sure. Dot dot dot. 
So this is obviously a very intriguing uh, story, you know, from all the the digging and reading I've done. I have I haven't heard this. this is the only spot that I've heard this now. I'm sure there's tons of stories, and and I have also heard tons of stories of people going missing that just aren't recorded. You know, there 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 just wasn't anyone to record it. So I want to believe it. I mean, it it's very interesting, and it it I find it funny that that they they mentioned panthers, you know, mountain lions, cougars, catamount, um, which makes me kind of feel like, you know, I I think that that the the uh, you know the this Matt Madison family, they I think they were recorded in like 1930. You know the 1930s they were there, so I'm imagining that this would be sometime between the 30s or 40s, maybe even the 50s. I don't know. I mean I'm just I'm total this total speculation just based off of, you know when they when they were last recorded being there, uh, through the you know obviously the census, so. I believe the last mountain lion to be killed in Vermont was in the late 1800s, like the 1890s. So, you know, obviously there there's been stories of mountain lions persisting within Vermont and all of New England, uh, even to this day. So, maybe a panther did get to him, but if if it was a mountain lion that got to him, you know, they were not, they I I just don't think they would just disappear. They they leave a mess. Uh, animal attacks are not pretty, you know, blood, guts, clothing, what, whatever else is just ripped off, especially, um, I mean, maybe not so much with a cat attack, you know, they, they tend to, to go for the, the back of the head, they break the neck and then, you know, drag their, their kill up in a tree quite often, actually. So I just, I, I don't know how his skull would end up on a stump if it was a mountain lion, um, but the Bennington monster, you know, or maybe some sort of of angered mountain god, <laughs> uh, forest god, you know, presenting the skull on a stump as a warning of some kind, you know. But you know, very interesting story, and and we, we could I could speculate about it all day. So I have one more uh, story here. It, it's fairly long, and. I pulled this from Reddit uh, by a poster named Laura Laura Dunlan. Um, when people pull stories off Reddit, they often act as though they are uh, fictional, you know. But we don't know. This could be a completely true encounter. There was, you know, nobody. Where where else are you going to post a, a you know a very very strange encounter like this? You know, where else other than Reddit? So. Just because it's pulled off of Reddit doesn't mean uh, you should dismiss it as 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 fiction or fake, right? So, all right. Have you ever heard of the Bennington Triangle? It's not all that well known outside of those who live in it. I'm one of the unlucky folks who falls into the latter category. Well, sort of. I go to college here. It's a region in southwestern Vermont centered around Glastonbury Mountain and including most of Bennington County. I go to Bennington College, most notable for being mentioned in a one-off line spoken by Alan Alda on 30 Rock. 
Another boast we can make is that one of the major disappearances in this area was Paul DeWeldon, a sophomore from my school. There were five major disappearances which happened between 1945 and 1950. I'm of the opinion that they started long before that and still haven't ended. It's not very surprising that a heavily wooded mountainous area would have higher than average rates of disappearances. Sometimes people walk into the woods and they just don't come back. That's one of the reasons that I'm scared of forests. I've heard it referenced as the silver dread and hylophobia, but personally I think of it as a simple caution. There are things that want to kill you and a disproportionate amount of those things live in the forests. Avoiding forests is a good way to stay alive. But sometimes you don't have a choice. The first time I heard about the Bennington Triangle, I laughed. First of all, the Bermuda Triangle is a myth, plain and simple. And there was no doubt in my mind that this was too. Second, five disappearances is just a coincidence, not a pattern, and certainly not an indication of paranormal activity. But then I heard about the other disappearances. As it turns out, people have been vanishing in this area since before European settlers came. The Abenaki, the original inhabitants of the Bennington Triangle, believed, and some still believe, that Glastonbury Mountain is home to cursed stones which swallow people whole. To my knowledge, this isn't far from the truth. My roommate, my freshman year, was a nice girl. Her name was Caroline. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a tiny crush on her at first. She was into all the same idle games as me and didn't seem to mind the fact that my sleep schedule was more befitting of an intoxicated owl than a successful college student. And I think that lingering, almost crush-like feeling is part of why I cared so much when she vanished. Why I dedicated myself to finding her. Why I climbed Gladstonebury Mountain on my own. The day she disappeared was unlike any other. It was colder than you'd expect for early autumn. But that's how life is in Vermont, high in the mountains. Autumn comes fast and it hits like a semi-truck when it does. One day, the leaves are green and bright. Within a week, they're brown and rotting on the ground. This day was somewhere in that between week. When the leaves have just started to turn red and gold and the temperatures haven't gotten low enough that the outside invites frostbite. According to her friends, Caroline went out for a hike alone, wearing her red windbreaker. Now those of you who know the Bennington Triangle will notice that she made two major errors here. First, she went hiking without a companion. This is a clear violation of basic forest safety. Second, she wore a red jacket. The significance of the jacket's color would be lost on any untrained eye. But if you know your stuff, you'll know that this mistake may have cost her her life. At least two of the five major disappearances were last seen wearing red outer clothing. And some people believe 
others were as well. In addition to more minor disappearances with the same color scheme. Now, of course, as I said earlier, a coincidence does not make a pattern. But you'd think the red jackets would at least make it easier to find their bodies, no? When word spread around campus that Caroline was missing, I naturally and enthusiastically joined in the search. We walked arm in arm through the woods, immediately surrounding the college, but they're small and were searched completely before long. This is when I started looking into the Bennington Triangle in earnest. I'd heard the term, of course, and heard a vague description of a few disappearances, but when it affected me personally is when I started to wonder if there was really something strange going on. Some people on campus were saying that uh, Caroline had been eaten by the stones on Gladstonebury Mountain, that we'd never have a chance to find her. So I had to dive deeper. Before you make any assumptions, I'm in a very happy relationship. I've always been interested in the paranormal, and Caroline was part of my life, even if she was a relatively minor one. I wanted to do right by her and see if I could solve the mystery of the Bennington Triangle in the process. I quickly learned that there was a reason no one had done it yet. Well, there were several. One is that most people, like me, are skeptics. If I didn't believe it at first, why would I expect other people to? Another reason is that, well, woods are big and empty. Looking for clues... To a disappearance in the Green Mountains is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Except, in the process, you could find yourself getting sucked into the haystack and become another needle for someone else to search for. It's practically impossible to find a genuine line of information, especially when most of the information you have is based on unreliable eyewitness accounts and hearsay. So I gave up on looking for information, looking for clues, and I did something stupid. I bought a red jacket on Amazon, and I got ready to climb Gladstonebury Mountain. I told my girlfriend, Lottie, that I was going out for a walk. It was true, technically. I just didn't want want her to worry or try to stop me, because I knew if she asked me not to go, I wouldn't. I felt like I had to go. I owed it to Caroline. It's funny, thinking back, I cared more about Lottie's potential feelings of concern than I did about my own safety, which was pretty much at the bottom of my list of worries. The leaves were almost completely gone by the time I set out to solve the mystery, once and for all. It was colder, too. The jacket I had ordered was too thin, so I wore it over two other jackets I owned. There's a monument in town, in the town of Bennington, to the Battle of Bennington, a relatively minor battle in the American Revolution. For some reason, this was considered notable enough to build a 300-foot-tall obelisk. From the view on the mountain, it looked, it looks titanic, towering over every building for miles. The first time I saw it, 
I joked to my sister that it looked like something from an H.P. Lovecraft story about a cult taking over a rural town and building a monument to their eldritch overlord. I'm not sure if that's accurate, since I've never actually read anything by Lovecraft, but that's the feeling I got. On that misty autumn morning, as I climbed up the mountain to find my friend, it looked as though the obelisk was even larger than usual. The fog rolling over the valley gave it the appearance of being the spire of a massive church towering above the clouds. Something important you need to know about Gladstonebury Mountain is that it's home to numerous large stone cairns. I'm not talking about the trail markers you'd often see when hiking, but something more akin to the burial cairns found in Britain and Ireland, though on a slightly smaller scale. These structures are far too old and large to have to have been built by hikers and too high up to be the work of citizens of the now unincorporated Gladstonebury Township. Perhaps strangest of all, the Abenaki have vehemently denied being responsible for their construction and imply that the Carnes have been there for as long as their oral histories can stretch. Many Bennington Triangle experts believe that these may be the man-eating stones described in Abenaki legends. These were where I started my search. I systematically examined each one in ascending order of altitude, trying to find signs of a struggle, pieces of Caroline's clothing, or anything. While carefully looking over the first one, I heard a sound that almost made me jump out of my three layers of jackets, and then an acorn landed on my head. I looked up to see a squirrel, eyes wide, furry hands open around the space where its acorn had just been. I rubbed my head and moved on. It was late afternoon as I traveled between two of the final carns, empty-handed so far. But then I saw it, in the distance as I moved between the trees. A splash of red on the ground, standing out amidst the brown and grays of a fading Vermont summer. I ran straight for it. As I got closer, I could see that it was indeed Caroline's jacket, and in it, Caroline. She was slumped against the base of a tree, head lolling to one side, definitely unconscious, or worse. Then I saw something else, something that made me stop dead in my tracks. It was much more suited to the color scheme than she was. Or than I was. Suddenly, my choice of jacket seemed an unnecessary risk. From a distance, I thought it was a shadow. But once I got close enough to make out Caroline, I could tell that there wasn't anything to be casting it. I'd heard descriptions of something like this in the area but I'd believed it was just jackasses trying to capitalize on the mystery. It looked like someone's shadow, only it was about a foot taller than the average person, and it was doubled over by the carn. It caressed the rocks, slowly and almost lovingly, long black fingers sliding over the stones without making a sound. I couldn't move. I was completely exposed but moving towards the nearest tree would likely make enough noise to reveal my presence. At least that's the logic I used to explain my behavior in hindsight. 
Realistically, I was just scared. A deer-in-the-headlight situation. The shadow turned towards Caroline. It took a step, legs bending at a 90-degree angle. With another step, it was on top of her. It reached down and caressed her face the same way it had done to the cairn. Bile rose in my throat, and I could feel warmth spreading down my right leg of my pants. The shadow froze, hands still on Caroline. Then it slowly turned its head, not moving the rest of its body. I couldn't tell if it had a face, not from this distance. It just looked like a solid black mass. But it was looking right at me, that much I could tell. It cocked its head to the side like a curious dog, wondering where its treat has gone. Dropping Caroline, it rose to its full height. Then it took a step towards me, and I ran. The last thing I remember is the sound of heavy footfalls suddenly stopping and receding as Caroline screamed far behind me. I woke up in my bed, on top of my covers. For a moment, I thought it had all been a dream. But then I looked at myself and saw that I was still wearing all three jackets and my urine-soaked jeans. As I stood up to change out of my clothes, I saw that there was a piece of paper on my desk. On the paper was a drawing, done with what looked like charcoal. In the drawing, a pile of stones seemed to glow as a woman, submerged up to her waist in the rocks, struggled to claw her way out, screaming and crying. She was being pulled in, and I could tell, even without the red jacket, that the woman was Caroline. All right. And what do you think of that story? It's definitely a creepy one. Like, uh, God, she did exactly what I would probably do. Uh, you know, piss myself. You know, last week or the week before, I said I would probably shit my pants if anything crazy happened to me in the woods like that. Like, if I was to see some sort of 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 freaky tall shadow being shadow person uh that's probably exactly what I do I'd piss my pants first you know and then I would run uh but but in all seriousness I mean this this story perfectly encapsulates what um the Bennington triangle is you know it's got these mysterious carns and it, it to me it all seems to come back to these carns. These carns, you know, I, I keep saying carns, and, and every time I, I say say that, I, I, I just hear people screaming, cairns, cairns, they're cairns. Well, you know, I'm from Vermont, and I'm going to call them carns. So anyway, it all comes back to these carns. Who built them? What are they for? They're definitely old. They have to be some sort of, of, of gateway or, or marker to a gateway of some kind. What if this this shadow being is some sort of of creature coming through the gateway? You know, just like the picture it showed, it's dragging her into the gateway. You know, a lot of times they describe these. You know, and I, I'm so sorry if if you can hear my my youngest crying. You know, we 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 have we have a three month old, and for some reason I decided to record this in the bedroom 
Uh, and I tried to go back into the studio, but the acoustics is just it, totally different. Uh, you know, th- this is actually my second go. I I, had, if, I don't know if this is your second time listening. You're going to notice it's different because I, I am totally revamping uh, the second half of this story. I'm rereading it so that, the, you know, the audio matches up. But but anyway, you know. Um, so, yeah, what if this is some sort of, of shadow fey being coming through the portal to to capture its victim? You know, I just... It, it's it's an incredible story, first of all, uh, and and it it very well could be fiction. I mean, there there have been you know, I don't I don't believe there's been any recent uh, missing college students. However, there have been some college students that have gone missing uh, in the past. So this this story didn't come with a date. Um, I didn't check the date that it was posted to Reddit, but who knows. Maybe the whole thing's been covered up, and we'll never know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, so that's that story. I mean, what is it? Is it a mountain guardian? Is it is it some sort of shadow fey being coming out of the portal? I don't know. There's something going on here that involves portals. I mean, like we talked about in the beginning, there's weird weather patterns, um, phantom train whistles. Like, what is that? Is that... Is that the sound of a portal opening? Is that the sound of a Bigfoot whistling? Um, there are plenty of questions that we could definitely ask ourselves about this whole uh, Gladstonebury Mountain, Bennington Triangle area. I mean, clearly these stories, they raise new questions, right? But um, before we get into those, before we get into the conclusion and start wrapping things up, uh, let's have a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Howdy, y'all! This is Placer Gold from the Gladstonebury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium. And if you're in the market for a new or new-to-you red jacket, then look no further than the Gladstonebury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium. We've got all the freshest new styles you could ever want. We got red leather jackets, red jean jackets, red trench coat jackets, red coat jackets, Red raincoat jackets, red overcoat jackets, red blazers, red fleece jackets, red puffer jackets, ooh, red vests, red shearling coat jackets, red duffel coat jackets, red pea coat jackets, red parka jackets, you know, for them for them cold days up there in the mountains. We got red flop jackets, red Harrington jackets, red windbreaker jackets. You know, them, them ones are real popular up here. We got red Norfolk jackets, red suit jackets, red smoking jackets for when you want to smoke them smokes, red duster jackets, red St. Laurent leather biker jackets. Them are them real fancy ones. And if you're looking to save a dollar, then come on down to the Glastonbury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium and check out our discount rack. We got tons of sales going on Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And get yourself a new red jacket at the Glastonbury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium. Yeehaw! 
All right, y'all, make sure you check out the Gladstonebury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium for all your jacket needs. Uh, I'm pretty sure they probably have, like, a website or maybe a Facebook page or something you you could check out. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, 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 I haven't been there myself. I heard they have the best deals around. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Gladstonebury Mountain Red Jacket Emporium. All right. Back to business. The Bennington Triangle obviously has some strange stuff going on there. I mean, we all know that. History tells us that there's weird stuff going on within the Bennington Triangle. The Abenaki, who occupied the land, you know, before European settlers, warned the Europeans when they came in in the late 1700s to stay off stay off the mountain and if they're not able to do that to stay away from the summit there's something about the summit of the mountain that even the abenaki didn't like um and i don't think it's a coincidence that these mysterious stone carns are located at the summit of the mountain i mean they're like I, I think it's something like 500 feet off of the summit of the mountain. Now, the mountain, uh, I want to say it's almost 4,000 feet high. It's like 3,748 feet or something like that, you know. I mean, and, and this is a, a, a fairly decent-sized mountain here in Vermont. We're not, you know, we don't have 14-footers or whatever they're called, you know, mountains 10,000, 14,000 feet tall, you know. But a four thousand foot mountain is is pretty tall, so you can. It, I believe Glastonbury is the tallest mountain in that whole region, so it it definitely towers much like the Bennington Monument. Glastonbury Mountain towers over everything around it. Um. Now, like 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 I said, I've been doing this research, and I'm, I I want to save it for uh, the next episode. You know, I did find some pretty good research done by the New England Antiquities Research Association, and um, they did their own work up on on Glastonbury Mountain with these stone carns, and they they dug up some pretty good stuff. So I think it I think it's and and just the Abenaki alone saying that they you know didn't build them, I think makes it fairly obvious that these stone carns could be 10,000 years old. You know, we don't know. Um, the fact is, they, the, the stones that comprise these stone carns weigh hundreds of pounds. You know, this wasn't just thrown up in a day by, by a couple of hikers. You know, they're definitely, they're obviously made prior to the European settlers, um, you know what? We'll just, I'll just save all that for uh, another episode. You know, I, I will just say these stone carns, they're, they're clearly very, very old. Now, who built them? Why were they built? Is it some sort of uh, gateway for, you know, these creatures, these monsters, these beings to come through and take? You know, is that where these missing people go? Is this story that we just read... Um, you know, 
Is this what happened to the five missing people or the four missing people, considering they found one of the bodies? Um, I don't know. You know, we'll never know. But there is something going on at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain. Uh, something strange going on with these Carns. There is some, definitely something going on with the weather. I mean, just the fact that the same exact thing happened to uh, Bailey Willard and his friends that happened to, you know, the author of um, uh, Obscure Vermont. It's just, it's very strange. You know, I, I definitely feel like it's happened to many, many people. Uh, even, you know, even... Annette Spaulding, who we've had on this show several times, she she came on and told us a story of something that happened to her while in the Bennington Triangle. You know, they, you know, I'm I'm sure people have stories from the Bennington Triangle. I have the one with a dude who was who was cutting uh, stuff to make wreaths and had that weird thing happen to him. You know, there there are stories of weird stuff happening in the Bennington Triangle, um, and I'm sure we'll never get to the bottom of it. However, I do believe. Like I've been saying, that it has something to do with the stone carns. Um, what that is, I don't know. But it definitely sounds almost canon to me.